NFL playoff weekend is over, and there is a lot to talk about. Coins, uh, streakers, Ryan Tannehill doing Ryan Tannehill things, snowy games, kickers calling their shots. Uh, One of the most wild weekends of football I can ever remember, and probably the most incredible in my life, and I feel like that's been the sentiment I've heard throughout all of sports media today is just how ridiculous this is, and I cannot wait to dive into the action here on the pod with both of the boys, Scotty and Vito. Guys, what did we just see? What was this weekend, man? I think we saw the best. The weekend was great. Right. We had all of these last second kicks or touchdowns. And and I just personally think we saw not only the best weekend of playoff football in our lifetime, but on Sunday, I would argue that this is the best of any two games back to back that we've maybe ever seen. I mean, this was this was a weekend that when it was done, usually this weekend's kind of like, oh, man, we're winding down. We're going to have you know, a couple of games left. This was like, man, I was exhausted. Like my mind was like, this was so great. This was so fun. This was mm-hmm. everything. And I don't think I've had a weekend live up to any hype like this. And I guess surpass it like this had um, in my lifetime. I think it was absolutely beautiful. What do you think, Scotty? It was uh, March Madness before March Madness got here. It was just absolutely chaotic. <laughs> Uh, no, it was so fun to watch, especially with one of those four games being uh, my team yeah. pulling out a, a major road upset, which we'll get into. And uh, and the other being, uh, you know, the next day thinking I'm for sure going to play Tom Brady in the NFC championship game. And lo and <laughs> behold, uh, the Rams came out and, and did a did an absolute job. So uh, that that was fun to watch all of it from top to bottom. Um, just total chaos, and I love I love some of these underdog stories too, uh, Niners included. So, uh, hopefully, more of the same moving forward. Yeah, I got a uh, I got a, a coworker too who's a uh, shout out Mike. He's a listener. Uh, he's a, a he's from Cincinnati. He's a Bengals fan, and I told him this morning that uh, we're gonna have to do a little friendly wager if it does come down to uh, Niners and Bengals in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Wouldn't that be incredible? Like, I would love to know what the futures, like what the odds were on that future bet going into the 2021 season. That there was a chance that the Bengals and Niners might end up playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, no, you guys hit, I mean, said it perfectly. This is the kind of weekend, it's uh, it's kind of weekend you need a cigarette and a Gatorade after, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. if, I, if I can make that analogy, <laughs> you know, it's just, you whew, you know, got to go get this towel and wipe, wipe your forehead off. And uh, it's one of those, it's, that's what it was. Like, it was so funny, especially yesterday, you know, I was watching the golf in the morning, like trying to kill time basically until three 30. And then by the time we had the game, uh, you know, kick off or I guess three o'clock, whenever it was, it was a dis- such a disappointing start to yesterday. But then there was just that, that final stretch of, of the end of, you know, both games obviously were incredible, but sitting there with two of my roommates, neither of which are like diehard NFL fans. 
And even they're like, holy shit, what's how did that all oh, Cooper Cup? It, what, you know, the Tom Brady, there's no way yes. Tom Brady's gonna do it. There's no, and then he's starting to do it. Next thing you know, it's a tie game. Leonard Fournette runs on fourth down and finds the end zone, and you're just standing there like there's 40 seconds of how is this happening? And then but it was just crazy that we had so much action in the last two minutes. Um, in the last quarter of, of both of the games yesterday, it was as exhilarating of, of a sporting day and weekend, considering like, think about how buzzed we are right now. Like we're as buzzed on this weekend as we are in pretty much like, you know, those couple weekends a year where you have like March Madness or you just have a bunch of different sporting events going on at all at the same time. And you just like, you're just so fired up on Monday. And by the time Sunday ends, like, Oh my God, there was this thing. There was this thing. There was only four games this weekend. There's only four. And it was just, it was efficient. It, everything. It was unbelievable. Like I, as especially considering, and if, I guess if like you could go back in time and be like, Hey, I'm going to offer you this. You're going to have the worst super wild card weekend ever. It's just, all six games are going to suck. And there's going to be refs and, controversial calls and people are going to be upset for a bunch of different reasons. And it's just gonna be a bunch of ass kickings. Uh, but in return, you're going to have the greatest divisional round, greatest weekend for collection of four playoff games that you'll probably ever have. I think we all would take that trade off in a, in a heartbeat, right? Yes. 100%. I mean, this was worth so much like this was, this is the epitome of what football can do to you and make you feel, especially Scotty, your Niners. I mean, the Bengals, these fan bases and what they got, let alone the every average American, you know, who's watching or honestly not even American, right? Like it's, it's international to, to an extreme level, but the Rams and Bucks game and the comeback was insane. It was insane. And then you follow that up with one of the best quarterback duels I've ever seen. And, and just their precision and it was everything you wanted for out of every single one of these games and you can say you know if you're a titans fan or a packers fan or i mean even a brady fan you got to see what makes brady brady right and if you're a bills fan you got to see your team perform extremely well against another team that was performing at their peak i mean this is this was what football is all about and i, I buzzing is is the exact right word i was happy all through work today like i was <laughs> We always kind of go around the room, check one through 10 and, and, and just like, Hey, how you doing? One to 10. And I was 10 every time. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever really said that before. And it's a hundred percent because of the buzzing that we had in football things that work are awesome too. shout out anyone from there. Like we're crushing it, but like, no, this weekend made life today better. And that's how, you know, it was an incredible weekend. Like, I feel like Vito and I are feeling probably a little bit less than what Scotty's feeling considering his team actually did win, but it's the same feeling as when you, when you come into Monday after your team won a game on Sunday, you know, yeah. like for me, like that a lot of times will make, not make or break, but will guide my week in one direction or another. Right. If the Eagles destroy, like they destroyed Detroit, right. Or, or any of these, those big wins, the saints game, all that stuff. The rest of your week is just like, you're starting it off on a great note. You're coming in on Monday on a good note. And you'd even have to have a dog in the fight this weekend to be able to feel that way going into this week. Now, if you're one of the four teams that lost, especially Buffalo fans, yeah, this week's going to absolutely suck. And, and I, and I do not envy uh, what you're feeling, but for the not, you know, teams, uh, fans that didn't have a team playing, it, it really does. It feels like you're coming off of a win. Like it feels like a victory Monday. 
But again, Scotty, you have that for real, like even double time because your team actually yeah. did go in and win. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a mixture of of you know we you hear this a lot in like the post game pressers after a big game like that, right? You go you you want to enjoy the moment, but then you got to get back to business, right? It's like mm-hmm. now I'm like, all right, shit, the Rams. Can we beat the Rams? And we'll get into it, like I said, but the Rams for <laughs> a third time the Rams, this year. You, so, yeah. so. Shanahan has owned McVay. I've, I don't think the Rams have ever beaten San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan there, correct? It's only, uh, no, that can't be right. But definitely not this season, though. Um, Six and L, right? Six and L. But it's, it's one I, game. I, uh, yeah, it's true. It's it's yeah. one given game, and the Rams looked, you know, really, really good in that first half against Tampa Bay. But like I said, we'll get into all that. But guys, it only feels fitting that because we usually try to go chronologically. But mm-hmm. when you look at these four games, the reverse chronological order is actually the like probably best to to work. So again, considering that all four of these games were fantastic, so we're gonna start with Buffalo and Kansas City. Now we just had this whole conversation about hyping this up, right, and how phenomenal this weekend was how unbelievable the games were four final possession finishes overtime, all this stuff. And I think part of the reason is because so many people looked at last night and said, is this like the best football game? I, I've seen that all over the place. People saying that's the best football game I've ever seen. And I'm not here to say that it's not, but I do think we are, are, we are at our worst when we're reacting to things and we're doing it immediately. We're putting it out on social media, right? The amount of times people are like, Oh, that's the worst call that we've ever seen. It's like, is it actually, or, you know, is it just in the heat of the moment? And so I said a lot of the same things last night. And then I was like thinking about it today and I'm like, legitimately out of the games, I, I can very much remember in this, especially in this kind of style of a shootout, you know, just look in the last five years. Where does it rank? And I have it somewhere in the top five. But just in the last five years, these are the ones I wrote down. So New England and Atlanta Super Bowl, right? I don't don't know if it's better than that. I just – I don't think that's possible, but I will continue. Uh, I had this game at number two. Wow. So I I immediately have it there. I have the Philly and New England Super Bowl, this Philly special. It's the it's the highest. Yeah, that's my number one. That game that's in my the number history, one. Yeah, in the history of the NFL, over a thousand yards of total offense. Yeah. Um, I have the Kansas City and Rams Monday night game from a couple yes. years ago. Oh, that shootout. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was supposed to be played in Mexico City, and then last second they moved it to the Rose Bowl. Uh, and then the fifth one I have, and this one was like the toughest one to come up with, but I think it deserves it. Was Kansas City and New England. Uh, which sent where the Tom Brady won it in overtime. And it was basically the inverse of this for the chiefs where they, Tom Brady got the ball first at overtime. They go down, they punch their ticket, they go to the super bowl and then they end up beating the Rams. So that's in the last five years, the last five seasons. So if I can find five games that are at least relative there, it's probably not the best game we've ever seen. So I'm not trying to be a buzzkill. but it is legitimately like in my lifetime, it, it is in the top five. No question. I think not only that, I think here's what people need to separate because I would argue this, this may be the greatest final two minutes of a game we've ever seen. I would actually go on a limb and say that because this is, I, I've, I've, I've watched a lot of football. I think a lot of us, if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen a lot too, but try and remember a game where there is this much scoring. I mean, think about it. There was, there were what, 25 points in the last 
two minutes, less than two minutes. Yes. So, so in the, yeah, I'm. I, it was started with the Kansas City field goal. No, that was at eight minutes. So it was the Buffalo touchdown that had. Like yeah, a minute, a minute fifty-four. Gabriel Davis pass on fourth and thirteen. By the way, <laughs> scored right, the so, touchdown pass with a minute fifty-four, and from there it was twenty-five points with a like, minute fifty-four to go. That is absolutely incredible. There were three more scores after that. I mean, to put that in perspective, I mean, right? It would the whole conversation you're having in your own head, or I'm sure with anyone who's sitting there with fans, right? Scotty was like. Too much time for Mahomes, and, and we're all texting each other. And it was like, dude, too much time for Allen. That was time for Mahomes again. That was the first thought I had. The last one too, when when they threw that that final touchdown pass to go ahead with 13 seconds left, I was like, you just gave Mahomes way too much time, dude. 13 sec. Think about that, and that's a testament to how good Patrick Mahomes is, mm. uh, and the way that he he can conduct that offense. But because I remember, oh, what game was it? I thought it was in the in the play. I thought it was the the divisional round uh, game for uh, for Brady, where I was like, "You just left Tom Brady too much time," yeah. um, and and that I think that was like fifty four seconds or something like that. But thirteen like, seconds. Yeah, it was forty. Or no, that was when they uh, the Rams got it back. My bad. Continue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thirteen seconds for Mahomes, and to say that that's way too much time left on the clock for him in that offense that that's wild. And I think another aspect of this was how well they managed their timeouts, because sometimes you get to the end, if they don't have two timeouts, they're not getting there. And I, I want everyone to like pay attention to that too, because when people say timeouts matter late in games, especially in the playoffs, this scoring frenzy doesn't happen. If both teams don't, yeah. I think they had all three. He, if not, they had all yeah. th- So they yeah. had all three timeouts with the 13 seconds up. And what's funny too, is if you're an Eagles fan, like you, you know, Andy Reid is notorious for being horrible at managing the clock. Yeah. And a lot of times it's he either burnt them way too early or he held on to them and didn't use them. And the irony here is the fact that he did kind of hold on to them, didn't really use them, but then it was massive in them being able to go and inevitably kick the play. And of course, there's yeah. the low hanging fruit of, you know, 13 seconds. That's one second less than what Dak Prescott had when he went and did the you know, the fake slide and everything. Now, granted, look, Cowboys needed a, a touchdown and, you know, Chiefs needed a field goal to tie the game. But nonetheless, I mean, and think about it too, from that that touchdown on fourth and 13 by the Bills, that turns into we have to get the two-point conversion because otherwise it would have only been a one-point lead, right? And then that turns into now it's a three-point lead. And then the Chiefs are able to go down, score the crazy, you know, Tyree Kill throwing up the deuces, which I hate the taunting rule. But that had been called for the taunting rule all season, and they didn't call it there. And that's a massive, massive break for the Chiefs. I I have I texted you guys right away, and I'm sure it's all over the internet. To throw up the deuces to someone who's in front of you, yeah, is just the ultimate. Like it, it was just so incredible. It added to so much of this game, right? It was a key play and a key player making an obscenely just in your face, like deuces i'm out and you're in front of me incredible play i think right you have to have some of those throughout these magical games and, and to the to the timeout point real quick not only did they all both teams save their timeouts but that goes back to how well you play the game right it's it's not having the play clock running down and your coach is like okay screw it we'll call a timeout here and save five yards out they, there are only four total penalties there are only six total punts there were no turnovers like this was just a well ran game from both teams 
Um, and and I, I did love that about that. I think that's, that goes towards that aspect of why it was so great to watch. Like when you see it, you knew it was great. And it's because of that, right. It wasn't Mm -hmm. huge pass interference calls. And that's why they got down there. It was completions, you know, they would call pass interference sometimes, but it would be complete and they just decline it. It was incredible. 100%. The the whole game, like it, it was very well, you know, it was clean game start to finish, which is, Again, the reason why I think a lot of people hold this game in the standard that they're holding it in, because even into the, you know, the end of the first half, third quarter, like it wasn't that exciting. Like it was relatively low scoring. It was what, 23 to, to 21, right? Kansas or yeah, 23, 21, yeah. Kansas City was up there in the third quarter. And then you get all these fireworks in the fourth quarter. It, it's everything we wanted it to be when we were talking about it last week, which is like, Neither we had such a hard time trying to figure out which way we wanted to go here because we felt like it was such an even matchup. We didn't know what to expect out of both offenses, both quarterbacks. But statistically, they're the only two uh, players, the only two quarterbacks in the history of the NFL in the postseason to throw for 300 yards plus uh, three touchdowns plus and rush for 60 yards and have a QB rating at like over 120. Wow. In the history, wow. and they happen against each other at the same time. And to think like, and again, a lot of people did the low-hanging fruit of, oh, this is the new Brady and Peyton Manning. And like, may, maybe it is. I pray to God that it's that great. But there, and, and Romo did such a good job on, on the broadcast hitting this. But it, it is now almost like a like a championship belt in, in wrestling, right? If, if when, when they played earlier and then we saw what the Bills did, like, Josh Allen kind of had the belt there for, for part of the season until this game. And Mahomes is like, no, you know, that never left. That's always been here. And it, it's going to be this give and take. And there's such tremendous respect. I don't know if you guys saw the video, but after the game, like literally Mahomes throws the touchdown pass. Kelsey catches it. He goes down, jumps around with Kelsey, and then makes a full 40-yard sprint through the crowd and everyone running up to go find Josh Allen and hug him and, and dab him up. Like literally before celebrating with anyone else other than Kelsey, right after he caught it within 30 seconds of the game ending, he sprinted to Josh Allen. So there's a ton of respect. They both are unbelievable. And they, they put on an absolute freaking show last night. And and the last four, the the whole thing was just unbelievable. And we're going to get into a conversation about the overtime stuff after, because that's kind of unfortunately become the headline today. Right. Like people, I guess this game's amazing, but we have to change the overtime rules. And it's anytime there's a thing in overtime and same thing happened a couple of years ago in that that Patriots in Kansas City game. In fact, the Chiefs actually submitted a, a, a rule change to change and adem, you know, the way that we do uh, overtime in the NFL, which is ironic now, because if it had changed, then, you know, who knows what the outcome of it ultimately would have been. But that always seems to be the conversation we have. But I have some other like bigger picture things I want to talk about here from this game, because I think when it comes to the X's and O's and the breakdown, there's not a whole lot else we can say other than this game was amazing. Like the defenses, both defenses played really well through three quarters, even with tired Matthew getting hurt on the second play of the game, the chiefs defense still hung in there through three quarters. And then by the end of it, I think they were just gassed. I think both defenses were just exhausted and you're yeah. with the way yeah, that but- the, the league is set up, you know, I, you know, with, with favoring offenses as much as they are, eventually, no matter how good your defense is, those two offenses were going to break through, and it just so happened to be at the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, and, and with the Bills' defense being gassed, I mean, for the larger majority of the game, they didn't. the, the Chiefs' offense didn't use Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. So, 
with the Bills defense being gassed, try to cover those two when you're tired. And and that's that's the breakdown we saw at the end of that game. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. I mean, and even on the flip side, you're right. Like the Chiefs, it seemed like without Tyron Matthew, and we don't know the impact that had, but a safety with his leadership. I mean, I'll say this. There were some broken coverages, and Corey Davis had himself an absolute game, like the best wide receiver game we've seen in the playoffs. Um, Gabe, Gabriel Davis, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I've done that a few times. I did I it like, last wait, night too, my friends. Yeah, um, he was signed for the Broncos for like a brief stint, and that's why I remember him. Uh, anyway, so I uh, I really just think about like some of those breakdowns that I, I think towards the end of the game, you don't know if they're just exhausted and, and, and they're missing calls back and forth or whatever. But I mean, I'll say this, they both played extremely well against the offenses they played against for how long they did. Mm-hmm. And I know I, I have to give it up because I think Kansas city's defense without Tyron Matthew, I thought would have just been absolutely right. They, they could probably get walked over is what I was thinking, but what they did up front when Josh Allen was running any QB options, they got him back there a lot. Right. Like Clark was mm-hmm. in the backfield. Like there were some really good plays made by that defense and it kept them in the game. Um, and man, they came out on top because of it. And if, if I, I said before this game, you know, I'll, let's go to the defense and I'll bet on the bills. And, and, you know, I gotta, I gotta admit where I'm wrong and Kansas city stepped up even without their star, one of their stars on defense. No question. And, and I think both defenses played incredibly well. Like I, I, there were a lot of mo- the amount of pressure that the Bills defensive line was getting on Mahomes. Mahomes is just in full Mahomes mode. I mean, the yeah. one throw that he he went sidearm around Greg Russo, who had his hands up and it literally went like underneath his armpit, you know, like and when you look at this, the, the still frame of it, you're like, how does he complete this ball? And let alone, does, you know, not just complete it, but ends up being like a 17-yard completion downfield as he's like bending over sidearm and just whipping this thing. Like that's the version of Mahomes that we all fell in love with and, and have loved watching over the last few years that we didn't really see all season. And that's why when I think about this game, I really do, like, I, I don't know what else that can, we can say. I don't know what else we can add and be like, oh, well, you know, if they'd played more cover too, like – there's nothing on that end. It was just at this point with the way the NFL is and these two guys specifically, you know, they're aliens, man. They're just, they're, they're not normal. Like what they can do is so uniquely special that no matter how good your defense is playing, it was inevitably going to boil over. And that's what it did. So in that nature, I saw a lot of people last night and, and people who write for specific fan bases or cover specific fan bases or fans, fan accounts and that kind of stuff of certain teams. And I saw it a lot in Philly being like, Man, if you think the Eagles are, are close after watching this game, you know, I don't even know what to tell you. And the two different sports. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> if you think Jalen Hurts is going to be able to be just like these two guys, then I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, no one's these guys. They're aliens. Like, you can't we, – we can't have this mindset. There's two of them. There's two people who are like this right now in the NFL. To act like, oh, we need to just rebuild everything and go find one of these guys – they're not just growing on trees, all right? Just like, that's go not, find one of them, yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> not how, that's not how it works, you know? You, you can't just go and find a Josh Allen. Like, if you have the opportunity to, like with a Malik Willis coming this year who has similar potential and, and athletic ability as Josh Allen, and you want to make him a project and hope that you can get there, I'm all for that. I say go and do it. But to say that, like, oh, we just need to rebuild like this or that you can't win unless you have one of those guys, I think are both – not super intelligent statements 
Like I wouldn't all of a sudden change what I'm doing just because I'm seeing these two guys because of how rare they are. And yet all I was seeing on social media from, from fans of other teams is we need to find this guy because they're playing at a completely different level. And if you can find that great, but what I think, and this is the question I want to ask you guys is how much does, you know, sitting at home watching these games affect what happens in the off season? Because not only do we have the Russell Wilson and the Aaron Rodgers stuff where it's like they might end up changing teams. I also think there's a lot of available veteran quarterbacks that are going to be on the market. And is this going to influence teams to be like, you know what? We don't have Joe Burrow or Herbert or either of these two guys. You know, we're the Titans, even though we just signed Tannehill to an extension. We're going to move on from him because there's already rumblings about that in Tennessee. Same thing with Derek Carr in Las Vegas. You know, same thing with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. And there's going to be a bunch of teams who I think are going to be influenced by what we saw here. And it's going to change the way the offseason looks in the NFL because of it. And because this is a unique year where veteran quarterbacks are going to be available, especially with a weak, quote unquote, weak, you know, rookie class of quarterbacks coming in. I think it's a good point. I mean, it's, it's a question to bring up about what this game affects and, and the way these guys playing. But I actually think it's going to happen on the coaching side. And then you see this once in a while, right? Like when Seattle had their great run and Dan Quinn became a head coach, and then a bunch of other court defensive coordinators, like there was just a rush. I feel like of like, Oh, we got to win that way. And then all of a sudden, you know, you saw the Broncos and Peyton Manning and do what they did. Like, I feel like they're always obviously always offensive and defensive coaches, but owners, I feel like swing when it comes, when you see things like this, right? Like trends like this. And I think especially a game with these teams who have been, good and getting better and the bills took a step last year and they're back. You know, they had another great year. Um, and, and obviously Kansas city's Kansas city. I think this is where you're going to see, you know, the enemy finally get that head coaching job. Like you're going to see, I think a lot of coaches realize like this is a great way to do it. And if I don't have an established team, Jeff, to your point, I'm going to get a quarterback. I'll pay a lot for a quarterback and I'm going to go get an offensive coach. Like if I'm the Broncos right now, which is my lens sometimes, but right. We need a coach and we don't really have a quarterback in my mind. This is a perfect off season that you're saying with Russell, potentially some others. We'll see what happens here, but to go make a big splash trade three first round draft picks for a bunch of stuff, right? Like we're going to see some crazy stuff this summer. And I think games like this do affect the off season and directions that teams go. You know, we can stay conservative, play, you know, get a good defensive coach and, and try and build through the draft, or we can just go spend it all now and see what we can get. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, Scotty? But it, I mean, that that's, that's true of teams that are still in it, right? Like what are the bucks going to do? We don't know what Tom Brady's doing. So that, you know, you have to look at that as a possibility for a, for a veteran splash move. Uh, I'll tell you what, this, the narrative there is going to be the same too. Uh, potentially with either of the two teams that are in the NFC championship game. If the Niners lose, the question is going to be, do we keep Jimmy G or let him go? Let Trey loose or Trey Lance loose or, uh, or sign another stopgap guy just for a couple of years and, and let Jimmy go same with, uh, with Stafford. There's going to be, I'm not saying they're going to get rid of him because he's had an amazing year. He was MVP uh, type year, but like the narrative is going to be that is like, is depending on the way the game goes too is this the guy that's going to push us over the edge, right? So um, it, you're right. It does it does change the narrative uh, for for particularly those, like, middling teams across the league that are like, hey, we, we can be involved uh, in this uh, just like these guys are if we have the, the right piece in place. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, Vito, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I also think it's an argument as to why I think it's going to be more quarterback driven this offseason. Because in the past, like we have seen like when Dan Quinn, right, and the, the, the wave of defensive hires with the Legion of Boom, we also saw that with the Sean McVay revolution, right? All of a sudden, everybody wanted Matt LaFleur got a job and Zach Taylor got a job and all these offenses. Like that offensive swing has kind of already happened. It's still crazy that Eric Bieniemy never has not been offered uh, a head coaching job, or at least not publicly that we know of, right. has been offered one of these jobs he's interviewed for. Um, and, and when I listed those five games that we were talking about over the last five years that were the best games, three of them came from Kansas City. <laughs> and so we've already had so many uh, of these coaching swings in the past. And the fact that this is such a rare year of there's not a whole lot of, you know, quote unquote, elite talent at the top end of the draft for quarterbacks. But there are a lot of very good quarterbacks who are around. But I also think a lot of teams are going to look at this and go, well, we have to be able to contend with this. Right. The Bills cultivated their entire offseason to beating the Patriots or to beating Kansas City and the Patriots, you can argue as well. But primarily, like, got those edge rushers. They drafted Greg Russo in the top. They drafted Ed Oliver, all these guys along the defensive line. They wanted to be deep there, even though they could have chosen, you know, hey, we're going to draft a different position at the back end of the first half. No, they went with Greg Gregory Russo. And they went with him to specifically try to continue to add pressure to, to Kansas City. And so I think there are going to be a lot of teams that look at this and look at this game and know what they're going to be up against and decide, hey, you know what? Our situation, even with Ryan Tannehill, who just got us the one seed, this isn't good enough because we have to contend with those freaks and those aliens. But again, they're freaks and aliens. You're not going to find those guys. So do you try to build like and San Francisco is the perfect example of this where they they just be Aaron Rodgers, right? One of those, quote unquote, alien type of, of quarterbacks. And they did it with Jimmy Garoppolo as their starting quarterback. And it did it in a completely different way. The Eagles beat the Patriots with Nick Foles. You know, like there's other ways to win Super Bowls in the NFL without having to try to mimic what it is that the two most talented and freak of nature type players are too. And if you want to add Lamar Jackson in that conversation, Lamar hasn't made it past the, you know, one, one round in the playoffs. So even when you do have those crazy talented people, it doesn't mean that you have to completely change the way you're looking at building your roster you can win in the nfl in a lot of different ways and i just think i with the quarterbacks that are available teams that are going to be looking to either upgrade or move on from an older quarterback um i think we're going to see a lot of movement this year and i think this game is going to be a big reason why because people look at this and go well how the hell am i supposed to compete with this and in reality i think it's just again it's that we are so reactive to things in the moment when we see it that, of course, everybody said, oh, if you're an Eagles fan and you're looking at this and don't think the Eagles need to move on from Jalen Hurts, I don't know what to tell you. It's like that's it's a terrible argument because these two are anomalies. You don't find them every single day. And if you build around certain people, and yeah, Jalen Hurts may not be the answer, but to act as though you should just go and get one of these guys is crazy to me. Um, the other big story with this game uh, that has been – taking the shine away from the fact that it was just an unbelievable football game. One of the greatest we've seen is the overtime rules, right? Everybody, I woke up this morning. Yeah. Every single tweet I saw had 5,000 likes of somebody being, we need to change the overtime rules. It's, it's another really dumb thing we do where we go like, I'm going to just say something that we all pretty much universally agree with. And everyone on Twitter is going to like what I have to say and agree with me. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like they probably should update the rules here. However, I, I get why both sides of this coin 
have valid arguments, right? Because if you're saying that the coin decided who won this game, you're just wrong, right? There are four quarters that lead up to a coin flip. And to say that the coin flip decides who wins and who loses is just basically, it, it's disrespectful to the game that we just watched, which was an unbelievable four, four quarters before then. Right. Especially well, those last two minutes. I, I was actually, I, I, I think the, I think the problem is it's just, it, it's, I think the, the overtime rules are the ones that are being disrespectful to, to what we watch. Like we, the coin toss may not, yes, make or break or uh, win them the game, but obviously like you're saying after a great game like that is tied, like both teams have put forth such a great effort to have it where one team doesn't even get a chance to hold the ball with how offensive the game was. It's just, it's just, it, it feels wrong. And, and as your, uh, I guess Homer, um, you know, again, everyone who listens probably knows I go off when there's a tie, I freak out. And the reason why, again, is because I hate the overtime rules. We need to make yeah. it, we've talked about this so many times. So I, I hope, I really do hope that they do change something, especially in the playoffs, maybe even bring it back to the regular season. But do, do I think that the coin toss decided the game? I mean, kind of, well, right? Like yeah, the, the but that's just because of the, but yeah, the offense that's the is nature really of crazy. the overtime rules. Yeah, that's the no, nature so, of the overtime rule. So people saying that the coin toss won the game are right, Vito. You're, I agree with you because it, it, look, I think I just read a stat that was like uh, teams who win the coin toss uh, in overtime games this year like 10 and 1 uh, in, in overtime. So... In a way, it did. So to make that claim that it that that's what a 50-50 chance uh, of of heads or tails decided it. Yeah, I mean that made it. There's some legitimacy to it. Now, again, I wanted to finish my my point here because I don't necessarily disagree. I'm not saying that the overtime rules shouldn't be changed. However, saying that it did cause the outcome is to me is the same thing as like a couple years ago when the when the Saints and the Rams played and there was the bad no call and the pass interference. Saying that that determined the outcome to me is the exact yeah. same thing. Be, you can be mad at the rule. You can be mad at the system and say that it needs to be changed, but it didn't cause the ultimate outcome. They played for four quarters. They played for 60 minutes before that. We can look back on the results and say that, but playing the results in my mind, no, it isn't the thing that decided the game. What decided the game, unfortunately, did come down to a system that I believe is broken and can be fixed, but under the system that was played, you had four quarters before that to change to not even have to worry about that. And you didn't get it done. And that ultimately falls on the team. Now, once you get put in that situation, I get it. It's a shit hand. And Scott, the, the stat you're referring to is true. Since they changed the playoff platform, there's been 11 games that have gone to overtime in the playoffs. 10 of them were won by the team that won the toss. However, seven of them were won by the sudden death touchdown. Okay, which is still seven out of 11, right? It's still right. 56% roughly that we're talking about there. But it isn't the ultimate, you know, isn't the ultimate deciding factor. Um, The rule, that being said, does need to be changed. I think it's ridiculous that you have a game that you could have a system in which you could have a game like this and only one quarterback touches the ball and that's the end of the game. And it was the same thing we said about New England and and. Kansas City a few years ago, which was, I guess, what, Tom Brady's second to last season in New England when they went on to win the Super Bowl. Same thing. The fact that Patrick Mahomes didn't get a chance to touch the ball at the end of the AFC Championship game was bullshit. And I I think does a disservice to the overall league. So 
what I want to know is how do we fix it? Because the college model is definitely flawed, right? Especially the new one. Yes. (laughs) And I think there's some really great parts of that college model. I think it's ultimately can be a very exciting product um, as a consumer, as a fan, but it also is deeply flawed. So I don't love the college model where it's 25 and 25, you do that twice. And then you go to a two point conversion off basically, or you get the ball in the two yard. I think that's wrong. Um, Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Or you can go nine overtimes and if you're Penn state and lose to Illinois. So (laughs) what is the best way to do it? Right. Cause I've seen a lot of people throw, throw out ideas, which I think you can probably poke holes in any idea, but I'm curious as to what you guys have thought of, because again, both of you are, are, you see the one side a lot more differently than I do, which is fine, but I want to know how do you fix it? If you're commissioner veto commissioner, Scotty, what are you doing to fix the overtime? What I'm doing is I'm, I'm it's college, the old college rules where um, you get the ball, both teams get it. And then after each, you know, each round it's, it's whoever's if, if one team's up, then it's over. So instead of being at the opponent's 25, I suggest that you're on your 50 because 10 yards then gets you a really long field goal, right? A first down and maybe two, three yards. Now you're kicking a 55, 54 yard field goal. So like, okay, you got to earn it, right? So if it's a defensive, a really strong defensive game, it can continue. Mm-hmm. Right? If it's too close, then it's just a field goal trade-off. You don't want that either in the NFL, I believe, right? Because kickers are just so much better than in college. So I would say you're, you're at the 50 yard line um, and you know you go, you, you kick a field goal, you kick a field goal, goes to the other team, they do the same. I do believe, though, that even right off the bat, I wouldn't be opposed to, um, uh, like, in the second overtime, going to where if you score a touchdown, you have to go for two. I think that should happen so, very quickly. Um, but I do, I do think that, you know, call, old college rules, put the ball in the 50, and you have to start going for two after a touchdown on the second overtime. So that leads me to mine because I like a combination of those things, right? Um, so I, I like the playing to eight, and I'm going to combine two scenarios that I've heard. Uh, I like playing to eight, first team to eight wins, except, you know, there's still a chance that the team who gets the ball first could obviously win the game with a two-point uh, conversion after they score a touchdown first. Uh, and then conversely, the other team, uh, if they don't get that, the other team getting the ball back could do the same. Um and that could be a disaster if neither team scores. So you need some way to, to end and finalize the game. Uh, just play the full 15-minute overtime. Like, why are we assigning uh, a, a sudden death to a game that carries so much meaning? Like, I get why we do this in the regular season. You don't want to see, like, two, three, and seven teams going at it in overtime because nobody can score in regulation. Now we have to go to overtime and, and hey, look at that. We, we end up in a tie. That's fine. You, obviously you can't do that in the playoffs, but in, in the postseason, like those games carry meaning and carry weight. So play the full, uh, play the full overtime. People are, are happy to see more football. And, and I think playing to doing the, the playing to eight, combining it with that, with a full period um, helps uh, carry over some of the excitement uh, that, that the regular season game in the postseason probably had if you got to overtime at that point. Yeah. I, I have not heard the playing to eight 
idea. I, I do kind of like it. I do think it's interesting because, right, you can go down, you can go for the seven and hope to get the ball back and, and kick a field goal, right? That's one way of doing it. Or you can go for two and try to win it right away. But I do think you need a system that, you, again, they, that's not eliminating the problem of both teams, like a, a bird right of both teams getting the ball. Right. That that ultimately is like that is, I think, the biggest problem that people have with this. So I like the I've thought about the idea of both teams getting the ball at the 52 veto. So like I'm, I'm kind of in that same wheelhouse. But I think we also are just over like over complicating it. I think you, you play the same style, except whether they score a touchdown or kick a field goal on the first possession. The other team gets a chance to answer. And if they can go down and score a touchdown, then it, it keeps going. Or let's say, you know. Kansas City goes down, scores a touchdown, they kick the extra point. Buffalo gets the ball. They go down, they score a touchdown. Now they have an opportunity to either kick an extra point and tie it, and the game keeps going, or you go and you try to win it there, which as we've seen in the NFL this year and over the last couple of years, more and more like more and more times that teams score a late touchdown and have a chance to go and win the game right there, they're going for the win. They're going for the two-point conversion. So I think it plays right in hand with what we're doing. So I feel like we just don't even need to overcomplicate it. Just keep what we've been doing, except the other team gets a chance. And if they decide, hey, we're going to keep playing it out and, and we're going to kick the extra point, then you keep going and you go until somebody ultimately goes. But once both teams have scored a touchdown, then it's, you know, next point wins. I, I like I actually um, what I what I really like about that is it goes back to the old old like just way of I don't even think after both teams score. What I would love to see is actually like it's almost like you're holding court. Like, all right, mm -hmm. you guys score. I got to score just to, to beat you. And then whatever State you guys do next. Yeah. yeah. And then whatever you guys do next, I got to match. I can, I have an opportunity to match, right? But let's say you punt and I kick a field goal. You get a possession, at least match the field goal. But if you score a touchdown, then you win. And like, I would love to see some aspects like that could be fun, but I feel like that's opening a whole nother uh, other side of like how long that could go on. But, uh, but there's something about once the purity of redemption shots. All of us who play beer pong in yeah, college know there's something so pure about like, all right, here we go, guys. I at least got my redemption shot. Well, like, and every other sport is that way too. Think about baseball, right? Like both teams will it will get in at bat. If you're the home team and you're playing extra innings and the away team scores in the top of the 10th inning and you get your chance. Like it, it, it's the same thing as if like, all right, top of the first inning, first batter hits a home run. Now they're up one in the top of the 10th. That's game, walk off. Like, no, like that's, I think- both teams get a possession and then it's sudden death and that's whoever scores. And you keep that part of it the exact same way. If you stop them on a three and out, a field goal wins it to you because you both at that point will have had a possession. If you both get stopped on the three, and then again, it's whoever scores next. If the other team goes down and kicks a touch, you know, puts up seven, you have to go and answer that. And if you don't, but then again, once it's that, if you both have a touchdown, it's seven, you know, you both put up sevens, then a field goal is going to win it, right? It's once both teams get a possession, it's straight up sudden death. It's the, only, think, it's the only amendment we have to make to the rule. Do you think, though, that that kind of begs the, the coin flip question, right? Because in that scenario, you might want to be the team that goes second to know what you have to do, right? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. college. And that's so, what they so, do in college. Yeah, right. So do you, do you predetermine that? Uh, is it the home team? Is it, is it, some, is it somebody who won the, the pregame toss? No, it's uh, whoever, whoever wins the coin toss decides whether they want to get the ball first or second. Actually, Scotty, I'm glad you brought that up because what I think it is, you have both kickers start at the 40-yard line. Let's kick a 50-yard field goal, and if you both make it, let's kick a 60 with no one else in the field, right? So here's the difference. When people are kicking field goals, 
they actually kick at a higher arc than they like the perfect 45 degree angle because they're trying to kick it over the line. So I would love to start at the 40 yard line. Let's see you kick a, like you both kick then the 50, then you just keep going back. Let's, let's see if you guys can hit a, a 60, uh, you know, a 70 yard field goal to get your shot. But the point is it would be awesome to see like something like that, where it's like, you know what? We take a timeout in between. Anyway, we go to commercial break. Let's bring the kickers out and just show the highlights of who's going first. Well, you know what? McMahon, you know, and we just go through the kickers and be like this, this guy out kicked the other guy and they got, they get, they want to go second. I would love to see something like that brought in. It, it would be very fun, but it's a novelty. It's a, yes. it's too, it's too gimmicky. It's never something it's a that game. if no, but if your team was in that situation last night and that's what it came down to, like, well, I would rather have it come down to that than a coin. No, like, like, cause again, the, the, the whole point of this argument and, and why people are upset today is because one side's offense and one side's defense played the field. The other offense and defense did never saw the field. That's the problem we need to be solving. Right. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. I think all you need to do is just solve the problem of both offenses and both defenses have to have an opportunity to be on the field in overtime. Yes. I'm just saying that, like, when it comes down to me, if I had a choice of doing something, I'd rather it be on a player, which would just be more fun. But I agree with what you're saying. Like, in all well, honesty, the NFL is going to walk out, flip a coin and be like, get to playing. Let's go. But yeah. But like, and also, like, we've also, like, that's how we've started every game in the history of football is with a coin flip. You know, and, and no one cares about that. And again, as long as you have the opportunity that both your offense and defense were on the field, because some teams are built through defense, like the 49ers, you know, if they're playing the Chiefs in overtime in a Super Bowl or something like they're not built for this, this style of overtime, the overtime drastically would favor Kansas City if they got the ball first. And so I think the, the solution to the, the problem, at least what everyone's upset about is, is again, the only issue is not both sides for both teams got a chance to play on the field. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's ultimately what we need to fix, but we also then get into conversations about overtime rules and we can come up with so many fun and random and exciting overtime rules, which like that, which again would be really fun. Like in theory, like oh, yeah. go and have like a kicking off. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm totally about that. Um, the last thing I wanted to say here and again, I think this is the, the biggest argument as to why it should be changed. Um, David Gardner, I believe he's a writer for the, uh, either the athletic or the ringer. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah. The ringer. Um, he said you can't, and this is in, in talking about the NFL and why it's overdue that we change the overtime rule. Um, you can't spend two decades overhauling the rule book to advantage offenses and then blame defenses for not being able to get a stop in overtime. Each team has got to touch the ball. A great defense still gives you an advantage. And I think that's I think that's perfectly said, right? If you're going to change all these rules to make offenses better, then you also have to change the overtime rule so that way both offenses get a chance. If that's the league that you know they've been trying to be for the last few years, and and I think it's as simple as that. Um, that's enough on the overtime thing, and I never want to talk about it again. <laughs> Sounds good. Just get to work, uh, NFL, please. But you've said it though for a while, Vito, that one of these games is going to be the reason why they changed the overtime rule. And we almost and, had it. Uh, and we, I think this could be it. Yeah. But we've had a few that were kind of similar, right? We had the craziness with the overtime games and the tie almost ties at the end of week 18. And now we've yep. had this, I think there's a lot of influence now that maybe we can get a, we can get the, get the ball rolling here this offseason. Um, the other game on Sunday, which I would say is probably the second best game of the weekend was the Rams and bucks, which this game kind of sucked for the majority of the day uh, until we got around the middle to end of the third quarter. Um, 
things that stood out to me right off the bat. The Rams were clearly the better team here. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but it really did feel like they just kind of got bored in that second half. You know, it felt like they almost forgot who the person they were playing on the opposite sideline was, right? Like the Cooper Cup fumble, a guy who never makes mistakes. <clears throat> a guy who is is that gritty grinder, is always super smart football mind. You know, that guy doesn't make mistakes, and yet he got a little careless with the football at the end, right? And then that's basically what sparked this whole fourth quarter. Hey, there's end of the third quarter. We still have a whole quarter left, and Tampa Bay goes down and scores a touchdown. It's like, wait, now it's only a two-score game. Um, the Cam Akers obviously had the fumble at the end of the first half, which he got flipped upside down and, and would have been huge. Um, but then the fumble late in the second half too, right? Like there was just a few things that felt like the Rams just got a little careless, even though I felt when watching the entirety of the game, the Rams were clearly the better team. Yeah. What's wild to me too, is that like when the, when there was that exchange, in the fourth quarter where Brady got strip sacked. Um, and then on the, on the very next play, <clears throat> uh, the uh, Jason Pierre Paul strip sacked uh, Matt Stafford. And it was like, well, that's it. They, oh, the, the, you, were, oh, the snap you mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm the, sorry. Yeah. The snap um, that went over. Yeah. Snap that the, went the, over which, which was all miscommunication based again, going on yeah. the, the kind of checking out part. Yep. And so the Bucks were already sort of starting that comeback trail. And once that happened, I was like, it's over. Like, just put it in the books. Brady won this game because you've made too many mistakes at this point for Brady to lose this game. Boy, I, was I, I wrong. You I need know. to trust Matthew Stafford to close out big games if you're McVay. That's what you need to do because it worked. <laughs> well, I, I think that's what's wild is that the Rams, think about Brady and how, I mean, it's Brady. We all know how great he is. But – for Brady to win the turnover margin by two, right? I mean, the Rams turned the fumbled the ball four times. And yeah, there were five total fumbles in this game. Yeah. And and so like to to win the turnover battle and still lose and, and almost came back from you know the 27 to 3, which was absolutely hilarious just to look at and be like, no way. Like this no is no way happening. he's gonna do it again. Yeah, yeah. And and he almost did. And and like it was. I mean, he, he got them back, right? 227, and, and it was just – it was really awesome, I think, to see um, the Rams have a game like this where it came down to their offense, and this is why they went out and got Stafford. And so when they have whatever it was, however much time, 40, 50 seconds, right, they, they can drive the ball down. And Cooper Cup, I mean, great route, perfect throw. It, this was just – getting us started for what happened in the, the game we just covered. Right. But like on mm-hmm. the chronological side, but this was an incredible finish by the Rams and, and Sean McVay said it best in his post-game press conference. He was just kept talking about the fortitude of this team, the mental fortitude to overcome what you said, Jeff was exactly right. Right. They, they left this out. They, they started unwinding and you're going up against not only the best quarterback, you know, in terms of winning Super Bowls, but he makes teams unwind anyway. And you're doing mm-hmm. it for him. And it was just incredible to see them just be like, you know what? We're going to go out there. We're going to hit these two plays. We're going to walk out of here winners. And they did it. And it's very hard to do that with the momentum against you. Yeah. Props to the Rams, man. I can't believe they did it until they yeah. did it. Like I thought they were going to miss the field goal. I was like, no way Brady's losing after this effort. Yeah. But they did. Right. But th- look, think back to week 18, right? The Rams could have knocked the 49ers out of the playoffs entirely 
with a first down. And they didn't trust the putting the ball in Matthew Stafford's hands to close out the game. So lesson learned for McVay, I guess, and and good for them for for figuring it out. Uh, but well, and but credit it, to Matt Stafford, Stafford for not letting yeah. that affect them. Yeah, right. For like, sure. Because I think that's been a question with the Rams a lot this year is not putting away teams. It's funny that, you know, they, especially considering the last time these two played earlier in the season, the Rams just beat the shit out of them. And it was an absolute beatdown in SoFi. And now to go on the road, I mean, the crowd was basically out of it until, again, like that last touch and that Leonard Fournette touchdown on fourth and one, you know, the tie to tie the game. There's 40 seconds left, 42 seconds left the Rams had going on that final drive. And, and I love what you said there, Vito, about Brady and, and making them mentally unwind, right? Because the defense was the backbone of this team last week, uh, and they were the backbone of this team for so much of the season, and they're the ones that kind of came across. And all of a sudden it was like, all right, well, shit, now this has kind of got to be on our offense to figure out a way to keep us in this. And after having made, you know, fumbled the ball twice in the fourth quarter and making those mistakes that they did to then come out with 40 seconds left, and, and find a way to beat them. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the Rams here, but what in the hell was Vance Joseph thinking blitzing that, you know, that safety? Or Todd Bowles, sorry, not, not Vance Joseph, Todd Bowles thinking blitzing. They, they blitzed six guys. They sent six guys on that play. And on top of it, Antoine Winfield Jr., I was, went back and watched the tape on it, is sitting about nine yards off the ball, is not set when the ball gets hiked, and is slow in, in dropping back. They had no deep coverage on that final play, which, like, how do you not have deep coverage? They have to spend, what, 60 yards, 80 yards to get into the field goal range? 80 yards until they get a touchdown, yeah. but 60 yards to really make it a field goal. And their kicker had just come up short on a 47-yard kick, so you have to at least make it hard on You cannot let them get that far down the field. And the, the first play, he got absolutely smoked by the guy who's been the best receiver in football this season. Like that to me was the, the biggest coaching fuck up we saw in this game. And probably the biggest one we've seen uh, this, this, this weekend, because at that point in the game, you've done all of this work. You've played such good defense in the fourth quarter to slow down the Rams. You've tied this game. You have the freaking goat on the other side of the ball for you. How do you, how do you let that happen? It's indefensible. And, and again, and, I like Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is one of the best defensive coordinators, one of the best defensive coaches in football. But that was a massive fuck up. And on top of it, too, because of the route combination that the Rams ended up running, they sent somebody in motion. The nickelback from the other side of the field cut across Whitehead, which slowed him down getting back and, and made him change his route to try to catch up to, to Cooper Cup. Anyway, and at that point, he was two steps behind it. And then credit to Stafford for throwing an absolute freaking beautiful ball hit him dead in stride. And at that point too, I mean, cup gets down. They had all the time in the world to get up there, let the clock run down, spike it and kick the chip in field goal to win. So huge win for the Rams and the two like positions that really stood out to me for the Rams in this game and why I'm, I'm so excited for the NFC championship game. Uh, the defensive line for the Rams was ridiculous. Aaron Donald, we all know how good he is. We've seen a lot of flashes from Leonard Floyd, who, who's been a really good player by all accounts. But the addition of Von Miller does two things. A, it adds the experience and the talent. And obviously we saw him strip the sack and recover his own strip sack, uh, which was huge for, for the Rams to, to be able to get after Brady, especially a guy who gets the ball out that quickly. 
but it also allowed Leonard Floyd to get so many one-on-ones because now when you're looking at who you're trying to block as whoever, whatever offensive line is going up against the Rams, it's Aaron Donald, it's Von Miller, and it's Floyd. So you got to make a decision there. You know, you can't double team all three. You're going to have to send help with some of these guys, but you're also going to have to leave them one-on-one and all three of them are brilliant pass rushers. And if they can bring that kind of disruption with just those three guys up front, I don't know how many teams are going to be able to consistently throw the ball against them, but they're not going to have to worry about that. The Niners are going to have to worry about that because they're not really worried about throwing the ball anyway. So the defensive line for the Rams is one. And then Stafford is the other thing here, man. Like Stafford, it wasn't just the deep ball. It was everything throughout the game. It was the easy stuff, the checkdowns to Cam Akers, right, into the running backs. It's getting the ball out of time, using Odell Beckham Jr. perfectly, right? It was never trying to be the hero throughout the game. It was just methodical. It was easy. It was taking the throws, not trying to be Superman until he needed to be late, and then he was prepared and ready to do so and, and threw an absolutely perfect ball to Cooper Cup. So that's what stood out to me from the Rams. But for both of you, what were the things that, that stood out that make you think, okay, like this team it might be the favorite to win the Super Bowl now? They're Might not uh, Niners, uh, um, but I think it's it's exactly what you you mentioned with with Stafford doing it all, not just throwing the deep ball. Uh, he's been so good against the blitz his entire career, and now he's going up against the highest blitzing team in the NFL in the Tampa Bay Bucks. That's a bad recipe because not only is Stafford that good, but for the first time in his career, he has the weapons on offense to get the ball too quickly. Uh, and that's what's made him so good against the blitz, um, in his entire career, but, but particularly, uh, particularly so this year. So, yeah, I mean, just the, the way that he, he was carving everybody up, um, and then the, the good sense to, to recognize when you have the best receiver in the NFL right now on, uh, <laughs> running, uh, running past safeties, uh, to, to be able to throw that ball, <laughs> uh, with, with such accuracy is, 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 uh, a credit to him as a quarterback and uh, and a scary thing to look forward to if you're the, the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, I think um, the defense is huge. Obviously, what you were talking about, Jeff, like agreed 100%. Vaughn adds something to this team that's special in the locker room and on the field. And the fact that it's going to extend his career because he doesn't have to play all the snaps, right? He's going to. Yeah. He's going to go into a limited role and do very, very well. And in the playoffs, we'll see him play full. But this totally feels like an NBA, like that, just being like, you know, I had the regular season. I'm going to rest a lot and we'll see what happens. Um, and get but, healthy too, because I mean, he was banged up for most yeah, of the year too. Yeah. And so, so that's awesome to see. But I think on offense, what really impressed me was not only the players, but again, I think McVay in this game really like spoke to the fans, I think, in a way that was special because what he did was very evident on the field in terms of the first play, right? It was a pass to Odell Beckham Jr. And they fed him in the first half. They really did. They focused on Odell. I mean, they got everyone involved, like you were saying. They didn't shoot, go crazy, but they used him. Uh, then you could tell, I, I don't know exactly what happened with the Bucs. I don't know if they just were like, you know what, we're going we're gonna to favor him. But in the second, I mean, the 70-yard touchdown to Cooper Cup later in the half, like we just started seeing other players get so involved and, and really spreading this ball out. I mean, not only did what seven players made catches, all of them had at least two. Um, we saw a, just a ton of offensive diversity and it was really nice to see. Obviously they had that just mishaps as the game got late, but even when the defense of the Rams who had held up and done well, 
even throughout the fourth quarter, right? I mean, it was, it was a 27 to 14 game until, until with three 20 left is when Tom Brady scored, you know, a touchdown, then went back down and scored another one. And, you know, I I think when the defense finally, um, you know, got burned a couple of times and and really couldn't contain them, the offense stepped up when they needed to and won the game. And, And so I think credit goes to, the defense were being just more improved, but this offense and really what McVay did, I think is, is just incredible. And as well as games, you could see the coach and his like embodiment on the field. And that was really fun. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and again, I, I think to stay mentally tough when the defense was starting to struggle there, you have the two fumbles, the Cooper cup fumble. And then look that the Cam Akers fumble with, with what was it like a, a two minutes left in the game? Uh, was huge. Like, I don't think you can put enough weight as to like this. The game was over. The game was yeah. over so many different times. And yet it was the Rams the Titans. Like yeah, it was like the, the Rams uh, kept letting them back in and you're thinking, no, they can't do this. And then, Hey, they have one final chance to go on. Cause this game's going to overtime. You get one chance, you get 40 seconds and you have no timeouts and you have a field goal wins it for you. And they hit at the best possible time. But there were so many moments like you were talking about, like, the, the diversity of weapons on offense that Stafford was able to hit. And he's hitting them appropriately. Like, we're finally seeing Cooper Cup look like himself for the first time, really, since the Robert Woods injury. And that's because of the role that Odell Beckham has now played. We're like, you can't just think of Odell as, like, how teams are treating him on Cleveland. You have to treat Odell like he was Robert Woods. Like, he's a legit, like, star wide receiver that we've seen him be in the past. Yeah. Because he looks so good against the, uh, you know, against the Cardinals on Monday night. And he's looked really good down the stretch. And even still, in a game where he got clearly more attention from Tampa Bay, he's still, what, five catches for 60 yards? Right? He still ended up having, like, a really solid day. But that threat is what allows, you know, Cooper Cup to be the guy who was the best wide receiver in football this year. And the the obviously the connection between Cup and Stafford is real. And I know he had the two fumbles, but Cam Akers also adds a little bit of excitement into this offense too. He needs to hold on to the ball. That, yeah. that you know, he has to hold on to the ball, but they clearly trusted him after the first fumble. And we'll see how that, you know, plays into next week's game against San Francisco, but they can beat you with so many different ways against the blitz, whether, and or even if they're not blitzing you too, like, it is it is crazy, and I think the Niners, because D'Amico Ryans has done such a good job, I think they're going to be ready for this, um, but it's going to be crazy. La- last thing in this game before we take a break, there was a report that came out before the game, which was interesting, um, that Tom Brady would be mulling over his future after this season one way or another, um, which was really interesting. I was not anticipating seeing that news kind of trickle out before the games, but it did. And the more I, I, I hear people talk about it, and obviously no one knows what Tom's going to do except for Tom, I think there's a good chance that this is it. I, and, and really? it, doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like it, right? Because he could very well be the MVP this year, probably will be. But it would be a pretty storybook way for it to end, ironically enough, right? He, it, it's almost the, the Falcons 2.0, right? He's still proving he can do it with minimal people around him. But it's also against the Rams, who is the team that, you know, it, it would be a very fitting story arc. And there was also some, like, rumblings that they held off with the last episode of his documentary because he wants to be able to end, announce his retirement at the end of it. So I don't know what's true or not true. I would definitely be – I would be leaning more surprised 
if they did, yeah. uh, if he did end up doing, but I don't know. Do you think this is the last we see of Tom Brady? It's hard for me to think that that, that this is how it's going to end though. Like even as, as, as you called it, the, the story arc running itself out a little bit, I, I it, it's hard for me to see him walk off the field for the last time with a loss in the divisional round at home. Like that just doesn't, something doesn't add up there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, but I, I don't know. I think I've been very, listen, he's 44, right? Like I just really do believe that this guy has given his everything, his bo- not only his body, his, eating habits, everything. And a lot of guys do, but obviously Tom Brady's written books about it and everything. And, and uh, he's, he's launching another clothing line, by the way, I saw yesterday that just says Brady. It's just, it's just says on shirts and has Brady and they're like a hundred dollar sweatshirts. It's in like lowercase. There's nothing special. And I was like, can you do that? Can you just like trademark a name and just sell? And I guess you can, but when uh, it's, when it's your name. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, but I, I think the point is that he's done so much that I've been surprised he's been playing after 42. Like when he came down to, to Tampa, I was like, Whoa. And then when they won and everything, it's just, I wouldn't be, I think I, I would be like 50% surprised, 50% honestly, like relieved for him. I, I feel like, I don't know what his life after football is going to be. I'm sure it'll be around the game somewhat and he'll go try and dominate something else. Like most, uh, you know, competitive nuts like to like yeah. Jordan, you see what he does, but like, man, I, I just, um, I've been surprised after again, 42, he's been playing. I hope we get another year, but I, I would be not disappointed. I would be very thankful that he at least gave us these last two years. Yeah. And I would say this too, look at what Tampa Bay has got going on, right? We talked a lot in the off season about it's insane that they're bringing everybody back. They literally brought the entire starter, like starting unit back to Tampa Bay. Uh, Gronk is another year older, and I don't know if you know Gronk's could be the last time we see him too, right? I don't think Byron Leftwich, who is scheduled to have his second interview with the Jags, that came out today. So it seems like he's the front runner in Jacksonville. I don't think he's hanging around for another year. Um, what exactly does it look like? Because even Bruce Arian said in a press conference today, it, he would be surprised if they were able to actually bring everybody back. And I think when you win the Super Bowl and it's Tom Brady and he's 45 and you're saying, hey, come on, let's all just run it back one more year. I think that message is a lot less receptive to the people who would be hearing it, you know, after losing the divisional round and Tom Brady's year old and you're probably going to lose your offensive coordinator at the same time. So unless he figures out a way, you know, and he signed that extension. So unless he figures out a way to, you know, work his way to San Francisco or I don't know, some other team which would be tough to do, you know, I, I, I could, I could very easily see this being the end. And to your point, Scotty, right. It doesn't ever feel like it's the last game when it's the last game. It's so yeah. rare to be Peyton or to be Ray Lewis or to be these guys who win in their last game and they walk off in the sunset more yeah, often you remember than not, them all the yeah. bus, John, Elliott, like it's rare. Cause you remember it, but it seems like mm-hmm. it happens. You're, you're right. I mean, Montana, Think about yeah. the end of his career. That's it, yeah. You, you never really think it's the end until all of a sudden it's the end. And I, again, I, I'm like you Vito. I love the fact that we got to see him come out and, and win one without Belichick and, and make that distinction. And not that I think we ever had any doubt, but it just adds to the greatness of his legacy. Um, 
And, you know, and again, there's few examples of guys who do end up going out on top or, or, or retire young, right. When they still have stuff left in the tank, like Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. Um, like, I think we all agree that Tom can still play. Like there's a really good chance. Like I said, he's going to win the MVP this year, but is it going to be ultimately enough for him to, you know, to come back and be like, Hey, this, cause I don't think the bucks are a Super Bowl contender next year. I mean, with him. Yeah. But that roster with who they're most likely going to lose and Chris Godwin's not going to be back till probably halfway through next season. Like, I don't know if there's enough there. So something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, if it's the end of Tom Brady, wow, that'll be a podcast to, uh, to for us to dive into for sure. Um, we're going to take a quick break, come back, uh, hit on San Francisco and Green Bay as well as Cincinnati and Tennessee right after this. All right, so the Sunday games we know were great. Probably the two, again, all four of these games are super entertaining. Um, but in terms of just like we were talking about sloppy play, all that kind of stuff, Sunday games took the cake. Uh, in the break, we were talking about what we do now on Mondays without having Monday Night Football to look forward to. Vito's going to start up his fantasy Bachelor League. Uh, it's his, his cold open to girls at a, at a bar, which is honestly just brilliant. Thank you. And uh, Thank I'm, you. I'm, proud, I'm proud of you for that one. Um, <laughs> and as you said, it's just an excuse to drink on Monday nights. Let's be, let's be real. So whatever you're going to be doing now on Monday nights, it's not as good as having Monday night football. Uh, and instead, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. NBA is coming back as well. Uh, before we get into the games, update everybody on how we did on our picks last week. So uh, Scotty, yet last week, went one and three against the spread, but he did pick his Niners in the upset over green Bay. You're welcome. Cause uh, we had to goat you into it a little bit. You were not, you were not as confident as you're flexing now though, Scott. I, I was not, I was not, but no, but Hey, you doesn't matter. God. Still counts on the scoreboard. Uh, and Scotty went two and two on the over unders veto, bud. Oh, and four. Goose yeah. egg. Yeah. Rough, this is the worst week against the spread. Worst week against the spread I've had in since we've done a podcast. Uh, brutal. I called everything wrong, man. And I got two overs because of incredible fourth quarter scoring. Yeah. Like, look at, I would not have hit any bets if it wasn't for the last two minutes of the last two games. It's, it's honestly true. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Oh, oh excuse me. And uh, we'll get into the overall, but this is a little bit like your, the karma for, you know, picking, getting up way big in the college yep. football games and then just disappearing and then just not doing picks again for the last two months of the season. So uh, I'm I'm okay I'm okay with that happening for, for you. Fido. I love you. College football fun. season seems like ten years ago. Oh, it does. It does. I I miss it dearly. Uh, uh, but you did go two and two over unders, and then I was two and two against the spread, uh, and three and one on the over unders. So uh, I'm the only one in the positive here as as a whole. Um, and then for well, the playoffs, Scotty and Vito, I'm pre- I feel pretty good. <laughs> Over on or for the playoffs so far, at least, Scotty, you and Vito are both five and five, and I'm six and four against the spread. And then the over unders, Scotty, you're three, six and one. Vito's two and two, and I'm five, four and one. So doing better in the playoffs than I did in the regular season. Uh, but overall, those four losses wow. hurt you in the overall, though, Vito, because you went from being four games above 500 in the NFL to now you're exactly 500, 57, 57 and one. Scotty, you are 104, 97 and one in the NFL, and I'm 119, 126 and one. So slowly creeping my way back. Uh, and then the overall, including college football, everything we've done this year, Scotty, you are 134 and 131 and one. Vito is 87, 69 and one. 
nice. and I am nice. one sixty one, one sixty two, and one. So I'm I'm my I, the chance of me still coming in over five hundred on the year is alive. Uh, just need That's to wild. Need, need to hit uh, all three of these last of these yeah. last three games, and I can finish above five hundred. So, but Pretty again, all around guys. I mean, for for tracking all that we've done. And not um, just doing our favorite bets, but doing every single NFL game every week. Let's pat it. We can do a little pat ourselves on the back. Uh, you can pat we, yourself. I, I can't pat good. myself because I missed half the season, but I still have great odds. <laughs> that is true. You, your record is great. We're just happy. There's a little asterisk next to it. You know, that's all. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that's what we're up to date on our standings. So let's get into Saturday night, San Francisco and Green Bay. I don't really know exactly where to start with this game. Um, I went back and, and rewatched start with the, the greatest team in the NFL. <laughs> um, I think the thing that stood out to me and Scotty, I'll, I'll give you the floor here in a second, but the thing that stood out to me when I was doing prep is the Niners forced green Bay to play their style of football, right? They forced green Bay into, we're going to make Aaron Rodgers pick one target. He's only going to throw the ball to Devontae Adams and check down Aaron or, you know, basically force it and, and put him in uncomfortable situations. And Aaron Rodgers just was flat out, just wasn't good in this game. He was not good enough to, to be the guy who we all have seen him be as Scotty's holding his hands to his neck saying he choked. It was a nope. bad, it was a bad playoff <laughs> performance from Aaron Rodgers. He played way too much hero ball. It was not his best, but I, I don't want to, take away from what the Niners did, which was they played their style of football. And they said, Green Bay, if you're going to beat us after that opening drive, you're going to do it our way. So Scotty, your boys won. They pulled it off. The floor is yours. Go ahead. I just, it was a, a, a just a miraculous game to me. I, I spent the entire first quarter, first half, mostly, uh, you know, um, I first of all, apologies to Jeff Martz. He and I were texting back and forth during the game, and he was getting really confident. I was like, "This is what I knew what was going to happen. They're going to roll one safety over to to Devonte Adams to help. It's not going to matter because he's really good. And then somebody else will be open over the middle. Uh, check down to Aaron Jones, uh, and 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 Green Bay started off really well in the running game. But the Niners also started off really well in the running game, despite having uh, Zadarius Smith back uh, for on the, on the Green Bay defensive line. Uh, he did get after us a little bit, um, and, and much like uh, much like what happened in the uh, in the 2019 NFC Championship game, uh, I feel like their defensive line for the Packers was chomping at the bit a little bit to get after Jimmy G, and they did that for for quite a while. But their their demise was. Uh, in that final drive where the Niners uh, went down and got into field goal range to win the game. <clears throat> it was a play. I, I remember this. I remember this uh, vividly. It was the first touchdown Raheem Mostert had. It was uh, they had sacked Jimmy, I think two times already in the, in the first half. Um, and uh, Mostert got the ball. We, we, to your point, Jeff, about playing our game, Kyle ran a, uh, called a trap play, uh, which sent the the tackle over to the other side of the line. And Green Bay, because they were so eager to blitz, blocked themselves out of out of the play entirely. Mostert runs thirty six yards to the house for his first of four touchdowns in that in that twenty nineteen NFC Championship game. Mm -hmm. How did the Niners win the game this time? Deja vu all over again. Uh, a lot of the trap during the game, but uh, in in this 
and the final play before we we were going to to get into field goal range to kick the field goal trap play big old Trent Williams sprinting out across the line uh, up blocking up for Debo uh, who who ended up getting the first down to kind of ice it and put us in field goal range um, and then and, uh, Robbie Gould doing his thing former Penn State by the way Robbie Gould kicking three to, to win the game but it's that's exactly what it was it was the Niners dictating the line uh, in the running game. It was them being able to say, hey, Devontae uh, on defense, uh, we're going to give Devontae Adams what Aaron Rodgers is going to give him and then worry about everything else. Uh, and they kept a lot in front of them. And, and then the line, kudos to them, uh, the defensive line got after Aaron Rodgers a little bit in the second half. And it was just a, a masterful performance. Uh, and I'm happy to be moving on. <laughs> Masterful is probably a strong word, but I'm not going to rain on your parade because look, your team won. You're in the conference championship, like, and they, and they out start to finish. They definitely outplayed Green Bay, but I, I don't think Green Bay, like, like I, I when I look at this game, it was it was defensive battles, right? Like San Francisco didn't score a point offensively, zero points, and well, yeah, and then and, how and many chances do we have with that <laughs> was you know with Debo and and obviously with you know Kittle there too. Jimmy G played really well. There were two huge drops, one by Kittle, one by uh, Jawan Jennings, that both of which were, were killers. Uh, and then, of course, everyone looks at the interception when San Francisco was in the red zone and they want to shit on Jimmy G more and more. But nothing offensively was really working for the Niners. So they said, that's fine. We're going to make this an ugly game. What is the one weakness of Green Bay? Well, they were the worst special teams unit in all of the NFL this year by a large margin. They were literally 32nd in DVOA in, in special teams. The blocked kick at the end of the first half was massive. And there's a couple things that led into this. And Vito, you, you pointed out in our text thread, they run the little wheel route where Aaron Jones has the option to take it deep if no one's there. They pick up 60, 70 yards on that one play. And all of a sudden, like, they're in not only field goal range, but it looked like Aaron Jones could have taken it to the house. And instead of running out of bounds or trying to get as far as he can and then die, diving out of bounds, stopping the clock, Green Bay had no timeouts. So they had to, or they had one timeout left. So they had to burn their last timeout. They get up, and then there's, you know, Rodgers gets stripped. They fall back on it, and they have to rush the field goal unit back out onto the field, ultimately to then have it get blocked as time runs out in the first half. That field goal is massive, especially when the Packer defense was playing as well as it, as it was. I mean, the Packers were fantastic defensively, like on mm-hmm. every aspect, every level of, of the game. The Packers defensively were phenomenal here. But then the block punt, right? And that's the other thing. The block punt that gets returned for a touchdown, one play, one opportunity. That's all it takes sometimes in these playoff games. So the special teams aspect of this, and again, why the Niners, who are just a well-coached team, completely around. Like what, What's masterful about this game is more from an organizational stance, right? From a bigger per- perspective, bigger picture here, how good, San, how well-coached San Francisco is on all levels. And I think that's massive. Vito, what stood out to you? Obviously, the Niners stealing this one late in the snow. Great scene. But what, what stood out to you primarily in this game? I think a lot of what you're saying, credit to the Niners, Scotty. I think what was a crazy thing that I saw was it was everyone on the defense. It was everyone on the offense, right? They get, I feel like, the most out of each player every week. There's not – they don't lean on – like, yeah, they have massive stars like George Kittle, but, like – the whole team steps up and does something right. Even, even like 
use check, right. Has two big rushes yeah. there. Like, like it was just, they, the, everyone steps up you, and does their part. And it's yeah. not like, it's not the same as the Packers where it's like, all right, well, you know, we're definitely, we're probably not going to rush too much. We're going to throw a lot. Like w- w- the checkdowns are working. Like you were saying, but the defense just, they knew what they were doing and they knew the game plan. And like, they, I mean, they had, knew they had to get a big play. I mean, for a team that didn't score a touchdown on offense to win a playoff game, like that means something, right? Like this at team, Lambeau. <laughs> yeah, this whole team, you know, really played well. I mean, on defense, no one had more than five tackles. Like that yeah. is a team defense, man. So when, when you see that, or I guess six of you count assisted, but like it's it's crazy to see that and to see a team win like this. So to see, you know, not a bunch of turnovers and all that stuff. Again, I think it came down to special teams and special teams really won on this game. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a big theme throughout, uh, throughout the weekend too. Uh, it was huge. And, and, you know, like you said, assembling the, the, the right guys to, to step up in those spots. I mean, Robbie Gould is a hall of famer. Uh, but you know, for him to, to be that cool under pressure, it wasn't a, a chip shot field goal either. Um, so for him to be that cool under pressure to, to do that. And then the, the, punt unit coming up with a with a big play uh and hufanga to be able to to scoop and score it just yeah it it was it was a lot of fun especially because like like you said everybody was stepped up you know when when kittle is a star right but he doesn't always need to be the star he is perfectly content to say yes coach i'll go in and do whatever you want on the blocking game uh and he's great at it he's done he's great at it and he's and he's done that like at a superior level um, to, to his, his offensive prowess in the, in the receiving game. So I look, it, it's a total team, uh, total team effort and you're going to need it again next week. But like, it, it was, it was crazy to see all of that too. After I, I was sitting there, like how many chances are we going to get down seven, nothing to Aaron Rodgers? Like how many chances are we going to have? to have the game be this close and we can't do anything on offense because that defense was playing so well for green Bay, but like well, cre- just unbelievable to, to yeah. make the plays when they needed to. But I think that's the thing, Scotty, is that like, I mean, Jeff and I were so far on a green Bay and we got to eat crow about that. But 100%. I think Scotty, like to the point though, is like, do you feel, I guess that you were like, you know, you, you beat the number one offense last week and had an amazing game. And then you come in against, a guy who outside of Brady, right. He also had MVP like numbers this season is up for it. You, you kind of, you shut him down really. And, and, and as much as you can. Right. And, and like, he still had a, a decent game, but he didn't like Jeff said, he didn't play his best. And, and you, you force that you get the credit for it. So do you feel like if you play this game 10 times, how many times do you think you would win? Five, six. Wow. That's just even more because, than I thought, but, but I, because I guess Aaron Rodgers point, is that good. Well, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I would even say like three. Yeah, or, or, I don't think San Francisco is running five or six out of 10. No. And, and I guess I, the point is like, yeah, you, you had like not a miracle moment. Cause that was, I don't want to compare the two, but it's, it, it's like, you definitely are playing what I would consider throughout the year, better teams and finding ways to beat them. And like, that's, that's what playoff football is about. And, and it's just, uh, you know, I, as a fan, I just hope, you know, like this is special. Like you said, you don't get many chances down seven Oda Aaron Rodgers, and no, and Hey, guess what? And you came out on top because there's a lot of other teams that are sitting there always like, ah, well, he got us again. It's Aaron Rodgers. You guys found a way to do it. 
Yeah. And, and yep. don't get me wrong. I, I'm not taking anything away from San Francisco in this yeah. game. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's a hard fought, ugly game, which is exactly what San Francisco needed to do to win this game. If they were going to win it, it had to be ugly. It, it was never going to be a, 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 an effortless, pretty looking game. It just wasn't. That's not who San Francisco is. And that's not how you beat Green Bay. But Aaron Rodgers helped you a lot. Right. Aaron Rodgers threw the ball 27 times in this game. 21 of his targets went to either Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones. Out of the 20 completed passes he had, 18 of them went to Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones. Yeah. Right. Rodgers was forcing the ball and, and trying to be the difference maker. He was trying to be the guy who could win the game on his own. Right. He got away from what has made him so good for so long, which is throwing to anybody who's around, whether it's Jordy Nelson, whether, you know, whether it's Greg Jennings, whether it's Randall Cobb, think about his career and all the guys that he turned into pro bowlers that he made millions of dollars for because of that. I mean, we've had t- conversations about Alan Lazard and, and, and Valdez Scantling. And, and yeah, I mean, no, I mean, not having Robert Tunyon in this game, definitely, you know, this whole back half of the year is like definitely hurt them. Right. Cause you have 40 year old Mercedes Lewis out there catching passes. And he had a costly fumble in this game too, that completely changed, you know, it, yeah. at least some of the lack of consistency offensively, the way that the Packers just were never able to get in a rhythm. But a lot of that also came from, the pressure that the front four got and David Bakhtiari ultimately getting scratched from this game really hurt Green Bay. I, I thought if getting him back, which it seemed like he was going to play and then ultimately last second there, he doesn't play, even though he did play a little bit in week 18. And then I guess the bye week and everything, I don't know if something happened or he had a setback, but he wasn't able to go. And Nick Bosa was a monster, but the dude on that line who I just, it seems like he's on every play is Armstead. I mean, it doesn't, yeah. it's ridiculous. Like <laughs> they found ways. And then of course, too, the most underrated player in football is Fred Warner. Uh, I mean, you have just an absolute stud at linebacker and they were able to, you know, like Devonta Adams and Burnham, Devonta Adams had 90 yards and considering who we're talking about, that's a win. If you're holding yeah. Devonta Adams yeah. to 90 yards receiving, but, but Rogers also didn't help you. Rogers was, was unwilling to go. And on that last, the last play there, um, or on the last drive that the Packers had a chance to get a first down. He, he threw the deep ball to Devonta Adams in double coverage. Alan Lazard was standing wide open, like 20 yards downfield with nobody within 15 yards of him. He had the chance to do it, but he was like, no, I'm throwing the deep ball. I'm going to force this into Devonta Adams. And that was kind of the MO that he had the whole game. And um, it's a trend we've seen with him in the past before too, where when he gets into these big games, he kind of loses what has made him so good in the regular season. And, and he tries to be the, the hero ball guy. And, and, you know, the guys are part of my take. We're talking about this earlier today. It's very similar to what Brett Favre was. Brett Favre was the same way at the end, um, you know, force feeding Donald driver. And that was pretty much it. He was unwilling to kind of do it and all the drama. And it's just interesting to see, you know, both of these guys in that small market, they're both kind of like, I don't know the, the celebrities too big or, or what, but they're just following Rogers is following a similar path. And I think there's a real chance that after the season, like not only is Aaron Rodgers probably going to leave, but I think green Bay fans are going to be completely okay with letting him walk. I don't know. That's, I, I don't think any organization should be okay with that, but I, I to the extent I, that you can. Yeah. I, I think that it definitely like this game to me, what it said about Rogers was um, 
first of all, I think he needs more help on the offense. I think those players were featured and by the end of the game. I bet like he was looking through his reads and there weren't many openings and he was getting a lot of pressure. And when you do, right, you go to the guys you trust. And so what that told me is that, you know, he doesn't have the guys he needs to trust, especially in front of him. Yeah. I, I get, I mean, Aaron Jones is amazing, but to have him be, you know, your leading receiver, it's it just like when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you got to have a couple guys down there. Like, yeah, we've seen running backs lead teams and, and they've been great, but they've also had like at least threats besides, you know, they have Devonte Adams and Aaron Jones. And in this game, that was really it. You got to f- get a Lazard or someone else, Randall Cobb, you need to get a couple more guys for him. And if I, I guess the point is that like, from a lot of fans' perspectives in Green Bay, I'm sure they're not going to blame this on Rodgers. They're going to blame this on the organization not getting him weapons and drafting a quarterback and all that stuff, right? Like you're saying, the drama yeah. around it. It's so easy as a Green Bay fan here to just blame the organization when you really just – you need to rewatch, you need to look. And Aaron Rodgers did not play his best in this game, and and that's, in my opinion, pretty clear. Do you think, think some of that first- is the way the – the offense is structured though. Like they don't get guys like Lazard involved in other ways, like jet sweeps, right. Or, or MVS either. Um, they don't involve them a lot in the slot. They're always like, just go. Aaron's going to get you the ball. Just go. Um, I, I don't think it's the, the offense really. I mean, like I look, I'm sure there are things Matt LaFleur would love to go back and do differently in this game. But again, the, and the, and why I'm bringing up like, Rogers was a bigger reason why the offense was, was not going than, than anything else. Like he's proven to beat anybody, even with Alan Lazard, even, even with Valdez Scantling and St. Brown and those guys, like he, it, it doesn't matter to him who's there at least in the regular season, but this is now two years in a row. And it was the same thing last year against Tampa Bay. I think there's a level of frustration, especially with all the off the field stuff that green Bay fans have had to deal with him this year that it's like, is this worth it? Because his track record in the playoffs outside of the one Super Bowl has been this, has yeah, been but, disappointments. It's been not showing up in the playoffs. Like I, but, but you can't, but you can't like just go from that though to like, all right, who are you going to replace Aaron Rodgers with? Do you really believe in your quarterback? Do you seen that much? Like love? I, I, I guess the point is that like, that's an easy thing to say, but it's a hard thing to follow up with because of the fact that he's Aaron Rodgers. And like we were talking about earlier, I mean, how many of these teams the people are going to do whatever they can to try and get them. And, and I think if you let them walk, you're, you're resetting your organization and maybe they're a little biased to your point. Maybe they are saying, Hey, we, we had Farf and everyone said, what the hell are you doing? And then we have Aaron Rodgers, So maybe we have another one too, but like, yeah, I, I, I don't would know look at it, it like this though, Vito, right? Look at, cause the only thing comparable that we've seen, at least in recent history is think about when Tom Brady left, you know, new England, like, the Pats could have brought him back for another year. And I know it was at the cost of going and seeing Tom Brady go and win a Super Bowl somewhere else, literally the next year. But you can't argue that the Patriots are actually in a better spot right now from a roster standpoint for a long-term projection right now than they were that last season with Tom Brady when they lost in the first round to, and the was the wild card round they lost to Tennessee. Like the, the organization as a whole is in a better spot now because and that's part of this too. You know, New England didn't even get to trade Brady, right? He just walked. They can trade Aaron Rodgers and get a shitload of assets for him right now that will help you jumpstart your team. And whether it's Jordan Love or someone else who's coming down the line, at some point, knowing the way that relationship has been strained with Aaron Rodgers and the front office there, and they've said that they're as good of now as they've been in a long time. So maybe he even ends up coming back. 
and and they can definitely use assets to go up and hopefully, I mean, again, really deep wide receiver draft. They could get a, a crystal lava at the end of the first round. Like that's not out of the world realm of possibility. Um, so maybe they do, maybe that's the next move for them, you know, that they can go off and do something like that. But I think the fan base, at least again, what I've seen on social media and what I've heard out of the media in green Bay and, and looking into it, I think the fan base is pretty frustrated. And, and I think even though they're not, they don't blame Rogers solely, but they've blamed the organization for a long time. They've been like, yeah, listen to Rogers. He's saying you need to do this. And oh, you drafted a cornerback in the first round. What are you doing? Well, Eric Stokes ended up being a pretty huge part of that team this year as a rookie. So I, I, I think when you blame the organization for enough uh, too many years and it still hasn't changed, then maybe you start to look at, well, maybe there's another problem here. Maybe it's Aaron Rodgers and everything off the field. I don't know. I, it's just a hypothetical. I don't expect him to come back, but I also don't think that'd be the worst thing. And another great point, look at the division that they play in. Minnesota's rebuilding. Detroit's rebuilding. Chicago is rebuilding. Even without Aaron Rodgers, the Packers still have the best roster in that division. Yeah. And if they can go and get a Matt Ryan or I don't know, some veteran quarterback to come in, maybe it ends up working out for, him. you know, who knows? Um, yeah. I'll give you the last thought here, Scotty, before, before we wrap, what, what was the feeling on Saturday night when the kick went through? What were you doing? That, and, and what was the feeling going through, like after the kick goes through just pure elation uh, so, or what? So the last, uh, since the, the playoffs started, I've been on FaceTime with a couple of my uh, best friends from back home. Uh, and I was on FaceTime with Omar, uh, my, nice. my best friend Omar this weekend. And uh, we were watching the game together. And, you know, I had to do like the pause thing because he's on the delay and I don't want to ruin it for him. Right. So yeah. uh, luckily I can pause my TV and restart it up again. So I timed it out. Um, except for something went weird in the fourth quarter. So I was sitting there like this after the kick goes through and Omar goes, what, what, what happened? <laughs> and so uh, I, I was just like, wait 15 seconds, buddy. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, man, it was just, uh, it was elation. Cause really it's the, the way that they, they grinded that game was, was just a testament to, to how hard they play and how mentally tough they are. We talked about the Rams mental toughness. And, and so we're going to see a, uh, an old battle of wits, a chess match, I think in, uh, in a week here or just, just under a week, uh, in the NFC championship game. But Hey, I'm also most stoked that the Niners have beaten their two biggest playoff rivals in succession in the last two weeks in the Cowboys and the Packers. Mm -hmm. And now we get to play the geographic, uh, longtime division hated rival in the LA Rams. So, and this, the city you hate more than anything else in America. That's um, right. Yeah. Well, now that I let you gloat, I will add this before we switch games. Uh, 17th trip to the conference championship round for San Francisco. It ties them with the Steelers for the most all time since conference play uh, has started. So when you complain about your sports team, Scotty, this is yet another reason for you to be like, Hey buddy, you could be a Buffalo fan, right? Yeah, pull it back. You could, a be, a bit, huh? you could be a Minnesota <laughs> fan. You could have Seattle. been one of these cities <laughs> that never goes anywhere. You're doing all right. Your boys are doing all right, but congrats. It was an awesome game, and uh, and I know we're both stoked to see uh, to see your guys there. In the, if it couldn't be one of our teams, it might as well be San Francisco. Um, last Thanks, game, guys. <laughs> last game, uh, but the first game of the weekend, the last one we're talking about here, Cincinnati and Tennessee. And uh, I believe 
at the end when we were going over this game before I mentioned a, a specific player and uh, it's not Joe Burrow and it's not Jamar Chase it wasn't Ryan Tannehill or Derrick Henry no it was Zach McPherson the freak wait is that his name Evan Evan McPherson thank you Zach McPherson's a cornerback on the Eagles uh, rookie kicker balls of steel drills a 54 yarder to win it uh, in what was just a wild game, crazy turnovers. Both teams seemed at points like they were trying to give it up. Uh, and again, the importance of the kicker, you know, I don't call a lot of things dead on on this podcast, but that one I pretty much nailed absolutely straight through. So uh, that, on. that was Vito, though. Good call. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> oh, man, that was a beautiful call. And, and, and to have it yeah. come true in that first game, like as you're watching was pretty wild. Because I was like, oh, man, Jeff was just talking about this guy. And then like seeing him. Like they were talking about him during the game, right? I mean, it was mm. – you knew something was going on. I mean, he had an incredible game to have a kick like that and to hear about his him calling it, right? Yes, like, that story is yeah, amazing. That was cool. <laughs> so, for, yeah, for those of you who don't know, right, he, he goes to the sideline and he's warming up. And uh, what, he took a couple practice kicks, look over to the holder. He's like, yeah, he <laughs> yeah. took two? Yeah, he took two practice kicks. And then what was the line exactly – I, I don't have it up for me, but basically he said he was like, he was like, all right. Looks like we're going to the AFC championship. Yeah. boys. We're, we're going to the yeah. AFC championship. Like once they got it into field goal range, he just said, looks like we're going to the AFC championship boy. Like what a fucking flex. And that's the guy like people. That's a that's rookie. So funny. A, a rookie kicker. People are like, oh, I'm sure they hazed him all that stuff. This guy, like he's earned his spot in that locker room for sure. If he hasn't already. I mean, this is incredible. Um, this is awesome for their team. But, but I mean, to go back to the game. Listen, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, it's just so fun to watch, man. It yeah. really is. The, the two of them, I mean, Joe Burrow is just a stud. He's just an absolute fucking stud. Like, I, I, there's no other way to put it, man. The guy is just a legend. Like, I, the, the con, again, the, the, there's something about the Cincinnati team that I just, I just absolutely adore. Like, I just – I love the way they carry themselves. I love the confidence – the swag they're but at the same time they're not like all flash and no substance like they understand the moment they understand yeah. what they have to do they understand and they put in the work to do so and then they just kind of swag. like it reminds me a lot of that same vibe of the lsu team and i get it like jamar chase and joe burrow it's easy to say that but like just the stuff in the locker room like joe burrow gets it like yeah uh, coach o, i was listening to an interview with him last week and coach o said he's like when he would be in a room with, you know, myself and Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady, or when he was in, you know, at pretty much any room planning an offense, even with coaches, he was the smartest guy in the room. Like his football IQ is off the, like, off the charts. And was he perfect? No, but remember this dude tore his ACL last year. This is a guy yeah, coming off of an ACL tear and leading his team to the conference championship game with no offensive line. He got sacked nine times in this game. Yeah. It should have been 10 if they, if they hadn't blown the whistle dead on one of those plays in the first on the opening drive. Yeah, it, it, that's the most ever by a team has won a playoff game. Um, and I just couldn't believe what he did to will his team, right, to get the ball out, to do everything that he could. It, it was an incredible game. Um, yeah, he had some mistakes. It wasn't perfect, but he, like you said, was the captain of that team and it was clear, right? Like he captained that team to victory. 
I feel like that's a better way sometimes to say than quarterback because he he affected the defense with his attitude. And and it was incredible to see him after the game to talk about it. Um, just he wasn't he's saying flashy at all and not cocky in interviews, right? He's so humble and he's so like, hey, you know, well, this is what we did. We had a good game. We got to go have another good game. And like it's it, and he's he'll just, drop a little, he'll drop little nuggets, you know. Oh, yeah. He's funny and he's like yeah. quirky, but that's what I mean. He's like, he's He's that guy who you love talking to and, but won't give you that much information, but will drop some things. And, and he's just awesome as a leader. I feel like people yeah. want him to follow a guy like that where he's not just, you guys see me and what I did and all that stuff. Because at, at the end of the day, he knows like his defense. I mean, the defense they they had against the Titans. I mean, the turnovers they forced, let alone, how about this stat? Um, Tennessee was one for eight on third down and oh for one on fourth. I mean, the Bengals defense really did a great job uh, in order to to really, you know, solidify that defense on on third and, and when they had to on fourth. But his the Bengals defense and really Tannehill played poorly, but the Bengals defense played well enough to win, which yeah. I didn't think was going to happen. I mean, I think if we said before this game, Bengals have 19 points, do they win? I don't know, but they did. And, and credit to that defense. Listen, listen to this. In the last four games, right, going back to the Baltimore game, which was Christmas weekend, he has uh, 525 yards, 446 yards, 244, and then 348, right? So you add that up, and he's basically averaging like 375 to 400 yards a game, which is just absurd numbers. He has uh, 10 touchdowns to one interception, and he's completing 77% of his passes. Jeez. With a quarterback rating, by the way, that averages out to it was one, it's 143, 148, 110, and 93. And those are in his last four games. And that's wow. against Baltimore, Kansas City, Vegas, and Tennessee. Like all four are like good teams. Obviously, Kansas City's a great team. Tennessee's a very good team. And then Vegas and Baltimore say what you will. But still, like we're not talking about they're playing the the you know, Jets or or Dolphins or some shit team, you know, like they're actually like he's just on another planet, man. Like he's, he's just, he's been on another planet these last four weeks. And the one thing about him is, is the leadership stuff as you were talking about there, Vito, where his ability to just control a game, the temperament, the, he's so calm under pressure in the biggest moments he delivers balls and they need to be thrown. I mean, the play that set up the game winning touchdown, like think about how the last 30 seconds of that game played out, right? 20 seconds left. Tannehill makes an ill-advised throw into double coverage, but an unbelievable play by uh, the, the cornerback, uh, Eli Apple, sticks his hand in and the ball pops straight up and then all of a sudden it gets picked off by the linebacker. There's 20 seconds left. They have no timeouts. Or I think they might have had one timeout. Um, and they're on the like, 45, 50-yard line. And that first play, it's a 15, 17-yard out. So Jamar Chase sets him up, a boom. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, they need to get there to get into, you know, field goal range. And it's like, all right, first play. Boom. We have yeah. it already. So yeah. then all you have to do is run it once up the middle. And, yeah, once once that play happened, Zach, you know, Evan McPherson knew it too, right? Like, he comes well, in, he said, all right, boys, we're going to the AFC Championship game. Yeah. Then it's your timeout. And uh, in your timeout, you ask the kicker, hey, where do you want the ball? Because we, we're good from here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right hash, left hash, down the middle. What do you want? We'll put it Di- there for you. <laughs> Distance wise, it was it was awesome. Um, and he was he was money on it. And now Tennessee yeah. on the opposite side there. 
there's some there's some stuff there. If you're a Tennessee fan, you're going to look back and, and question some stuff, right? And I don't always think yeah. it's fair to question play calling or decision making. But you know, the first couple of drives, Derrick Henry looked like Derrick Henry, but by the time they hit halftime, he he just looked gassed, man. He he didn't look like he was, you know, in playoff football shape. And and, and rusty. To be fair, like the dude hasn't played in in you know eight <laughs> weeks, right? Like he hasn't played in two and a half months. We got to give at least some sort of credit there. But Deontay Foreman comes in and busts off a 45-yard run, and then he only gets two more touches that point on for the rest of the game. See, and Der- that's Der- the- that was just the last thing I was going to yeah. add here, Scotty, too. Is Derrick Henry gets stopped on the goal line when they were doing the, the uh, two-point conversion, yeah. right? Which was also pretty lucky because uh, the Bengals jumped off sides and then the chains decided to go for two and it actually kind of ended up biting him in the ass a little bit there. But then also in the fourth and one, they gave it to yeah. Henry, and he couldn't get it either. And I'm like, why is Deontay Foreman not getting the ball there in short yardage? That's what I was saying on Friday's pod, right? Why are you trying to force Henry back into the – granted, look, I know he's still probably the best running back in the NFL, right? And the threat is there. But with as much time as he's been off and with the injury that he had and the way that he's playing on that stage, you can't force him into – the majority of the snap count that's absurd right and the way and like i said on on the friday pod the way that the rest of that running back room is played particularly deontay foreman the the mere fact that you would use derrick henry as a change of pace back or fresh legs or uh or or a just a a threat on the field instead of trying to force the ball to him uh and, and make something happen i think that was that was the biggest well, in the running game, that was the the biggest flaw in the offense, um, and then obviously in in the uh, in the passing game, Tannehill was, did them no favors from the jump. I don't know. I, I think the other thing though with Tannehill was this is the first time in a little while I just saw him lose track of like a game. I don't know. It felt like this was the worst he had played in a while. At least that's what it felt like to me. And I don't know about you guys watching, but this season, I mean. He hadn't lost his team a lot of games, right? And he lost his team this game, in my opinion. Mm. He he at least played well enough to win their games, right? And he might have an off game here, but they pulled it out. And this is the time when, like, you know, and I get usually, right? Like you guys are saying, I think Derek, uh, full healthy, who's been healthy for weeks, Derek Henry gets fourth and ones. Like, it was weird seeing him not get whatever and ones you want to put him in. Yeah. But Tannehill <laughs> just... The, the picks, right? You just can't have the picks when a close, like low scoring game like this. And, and three and, of them is just, yeah. And the, the, the raw pick numbers are, are obviously look three interceptions in a playoff game. You can't have that. Right. And win. However, the, the one pick, the one that the, the cornerback yeah, yeah, yeah. Cincinnati tipped up in the air and went and chased down and caught like, that's one where you just got to take your hat off to the defense. Like players make that play. Like quarterbacks make that throw all the time and balls get batted down, whatever. It is so rare that a player can bat a ball up like that, chase it down themselves. And then obviously then return it another like 40 yards on top of it. And then I thought the interception at the end, like, yeah, he definitely tried to squeeze that ball in there, but it was a really good play by the cornerback who was in perfect position and and got a hand on the ball. And again, a, a very fortunate bounce that when he sticks his hand to break the pass up, the ball happened to go straight up, right? We've seen that happen where the ball drops straight down and people dive. Oh, he almost tipped that to him, right? There was a couple of breaks that didn't quite go his way. But I'll also say this. 
Tennessee's not even in this game in the second half without Tannehill. The touchdown pass to A.J. Brown was yeah, one yeah. of the most absurd throws I've seen all season. He threw that back shoulder front pylon, which is the by far the hardest ball to time and get accurate when, but in terms of when the player's going to be there. He also It was a 45-yard throw, too. And he dropped it back shoulder in double coverage, literally placed it in one arm. It hit A.J. Brown right in his freaking bicep and forearm, and it stuck to him like glue, right? That throw was unbelievable. And then there was a couple Perfect. other deep throws that he did. So I don't think he lost I, yeah. the game. Well, I think his I I don't either. Play, range it, was just not good enough to do it. it I agree. The deep throw was of his whole career, right? It was representative but, of what his yeah. whole career has been, which is unbelievable moments, really big plays, and then some doy-doy plays that end up hurting you in the long run. Um, I, I don't think it's solely on him, but I also don't think they're even in the game in the second half without him. And, and it was just a very encapsulating game as to what the Ryan Tannehill experience has been over the last few years. Yeah, because I've been on them. I've you know you guys know before this game, I was like, "There's no way they're going to lose this because they have Tannehill." Like I, I'm yeah. a full uh, bore Tannehill guy, but like I've been watching him a long time. I just I thought even even when he had to extend plays, he just there was just something that just didn't like he didn't have the regular like just vibe he usually does, I guess, or, or he looked a little bit worse. And, and give credit to the Bengals, right? Like yeah, like definitely give credit to them. But man, it's just. I don't know if he was expecting to get Derrick Henry and not, and just them not going with the other running back. Like you could argue that even, you know, they, they ran for what uh, basically 200 or 140 yards, something like that and yeah. as a team. But like, you could argue that that was one of their least impressive running games because they didn't get the runs when they needed them. Like I said, they're terrible on third down, which goes to the intermediate passing game. I, I just, I think that uh, when you, it's, it's funny. Cause I think you said something uh, on the pod, the preview pod for this weekend, Jeff, where it was like talking about these two quarterbacks and you're like, man, I'm, you know, you were going burrow cause it's burrow. And I was like, man, I think I thought that Tannehill like and him are kind of like in that same thing. And, and now I'm like, man, no burrow, even when he played like a, not his best game is still better than what Tannehill yeah. does on his floor. And, I mean, and given we're seeing, you know, Joe burrow in a streak, like you mentioned, yeah. but still there was something different when you saw it. Right. Well, and, and I think they are in the same plane right now. It's just they're on different trajectories for their career, where Joe Burrow's in year two and Tannehill is year eight or however long you know he's been around. But I, I'll say this, and I think one of the things I was saying on Friday's pod was that I felt that this game, because of the addition of Derrick Henry, was going to throw the Titans offense out of rhythm that they weren't going to have a clear identity or a consistent like, okay, this is what we're doing. Cause there was the variable of what is Derrick Henry. And I don't think they knew exactly what he was going to be. And I think that lack of consistency is exactly what we saw, you know, like, I, yeah, I called McPherson or whatever, but like in the actual breakdown of the game, I think mm -hmm. what I'm more proud of is the fact that I, I didn't think I'm adding Derrick Henry back this week was going to be that much of a benefit for Tennessee because we just didn't know exactly what they were going to be. And if it had it been fully healthy Derrick Henry, like what we saw earlier in the season, it would have been a totally different game. But I think they didn't know who they are. And one of the things I love about San Francisco is San Francisco knows who they are. They know what their identity is, right? And in the playoffs, you have to have that. And so even though they did bring back Derrick Henry and you're thinking, oh, best running back in football is coming back, it has to be a positive. I think it threw them out of sorts, particularly in the first half. And then by the time the second half comes around and they started to, you know, like actually need, you know, play together, they had a half, a half under their belt, you know, they were down nine, six at halftime. 
they put up 10 points in the third quarter and immediately looked like, all right, yeah, now they're starting to see something here. And there's a couple of deep balls to AJ Brown who had a monster day. Um, I just think that whole first half was, was completely marred by the fact that they, there was no consistency or rhythm to what they were going to be doing offensively because they didn't know what they had. They didn't know what they were. And for better, for worse, that's kind of the gamble that they had by bringing in Derrick Henry and credit to the Bengals defense too. Like you said, like, that D-line was playing their absolute asses off, and they fly to the ball. Like, everybody on that defense hustles their ass off, flies their way to the ball, and makes plays, which um, is unbelievable. I mean, it, credit where credit is due, and they're going to have a huge Yeah, Eli Apple. Eli Apple yeah. had a massive game, too. An, and then just an apple a day keeps a touchdown away, I'll tell you that. And then he came out today and, like, last night and was just shitting on, like, his former teams. He, <laughs> And like the cities, he was saying he was talking about how like hands New York down sucks, bro. <laughs> he he did he shit on new on New York and New Orleans. He said by far the the city with the worst food and smells the worst is New Orleans. Idiot! Don't and you I'm don't like, say that? Has he ever like, been what there? What are you talking about? Clearly hasn't yeah. been to our New Orleans. And it was completely yeah. unprompted too, because he said he's like the two worst fan bases in football are the are the Giants and the Saints. And it's like what? Where is like no. Sir, this is a Wendy's. I didn't ask right? you like, that. <laughs> but to speak about some of the best fans, I have to tell, tell you this. So we've talked about my best friend, Nick Alcaterra, his brother Grant, yeah. and, and their family. His parents, um, Nick was born in Cincinnati. His parents are diehard Bengals fans. Even when they lived in California, they kept their season tickets, sold some. They always went back to games. Nice. I grew up watching football in their household, and we watched Bengals games. And, you know, it was Corey Dillon. And some other me, and then it was cool because Palmer, where I grew right? up, yeah, yeah, Carson Paul went to my high school. So then he's their quarterback. And so it was this whole thing. And I'm just so happy for Bengals fans like them who have stuck with this team for a long time. Cause there's been talk about Buffalo and their playoff drought and the Browns and their playoff drought. And then obviously now it's like, man, when you look at, you know, the actual drought of winning a playoff game and what that's been like in Cincinnati, um, it's just, it's really awesome for those fans and, and anyone who's stuck with them. Uh, you deserve to pat yourself on the back and you deserve to wear your Jersey all week to work mm-hmm. and, and show it off. And, uh, and I, I'm wishing more good luck to you guys for the rest of the playoffs. And, and it's a great point. And, and this is why the NFL is the most unique and, and special uh, sporting league that, that we have. And it's that think about where Cincinnati was literally less than two years ago, going into the draft with the number one overall pick, like sit like, all of this has happened like since COVID started, like Cincinnati went from being the worst team in the draft before COVID started to now in going into year two of the pandemic, they are in the AFC championship game. That is crazy. It's like video this. game stuff. It, it's the <laughs> only, but it's the only sport that you can have that kind of quick turnaround. in. It's all about the leadership that you have up front and then getting lucky and, and you know, Joe Burrow going off and having the greatest season in college football history. And then, boom, easy number one overall pick, come to Cincinnati, you're Ohio kid, and it works out. And not trying to say that, like, every team can just flip the switch, but you can turn things around pretty quickly. And, and it's, again, same reason why I think Jacksonville is the best job opening right now. Because you get the right leadership in there, you have the talent, you get the right GM, you can change and, and turn around really, really quickly. And the exact opposite can happen too, right? Yeah. You can go from the Eagles winning a Super Bowl – to now less than four years removed, and it's basically a new front office, new head coach, new quarterback. 
And, and there's no, there's no other sport that, that, that is like that. The NBA can do it a little bit. Like when you have like players, just like Miami, like when LeBron just decided to go to Miami, but like for the most part, the NFL is the one thing where if you, if you do it right, you can flip it around and, and the Bengals and their story and everything to going from not having sent a text message about the Bengals winning his playoff game to now being in the AFC championship game against a team that you beat less than a month ago. It's pretty awesome. And I'm look, I'm not going to take them at least not now. I haven't talked myself into it that much to beat Kansas city, but I don't know. I, I remember some weeks ago, some uh, brilliant mind on this very podcast said that the Cincinnati Bengals were the best team in the AFC. Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure I said you you're an idiot. So I'm pretty sure you did yeah. say that. Sorry Scott. about that, Scott. <laughs> I yeah. still don't think they're the best team in the AFC. I think they're the third best team in the AFC. <laughs> but they have a chance to at least go out there and, and represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. And if that happens, Scotty, that, that'll be the uh the long play of the year, I think, for us. Yeah, that I didn't put money um, on. <laughs> all right. Last thing here before we wrap up the pod for both of you guys. What is now that this weekend is gone, right? We have our conference championship set up next weekend. What when you when you think about this weekend, right? Like, what is the thing that makes that that I don't know if it's like I just love football or whatever it is, but like what's the thing that is resonating with you now? We we've had 24 hours to process it. We've just rehashed all these games. What is sticking with your brain right now out of those four games? Could be player, anything after we've seen this. Scotty, you go, you go first. That the 49ers live to fight another week. Yeah. yeah. That's why I asked you to go first because I knew yeah. it was gonna be that. <laughs> I, I do think like I know we talked about where the game fits and everything, but I, I firmly believe that that was the most exciting two minutes of football. I've seen, and I would say like, especially for volume of points, I just don't think we've ever seen anything like that. And I I'm a day removed. So ask me in a month and a year and everything, but in terms of, of how special that ending was, I mean, it's, it's way up there for me all time. I would would say coming out of this weekend is just the, the future of the NFL is, is in a really good place. Right. We're, we're in this kind of cross zone now where there was that gap where it really feels like after Stafford, like that's where the clear line drops, where you have Brady, you have Rodgers, Russ, and Stafford. And then from there and on, there's a big gap before you get to this young crop. And over the next five years, those guys are probably going to age themselves out. And to think that we just have Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, Lamar, and, all, Lamar and, and just all of these talented guys coming in Ray to Lance. take over the take over the league in the future uh it, it it gets me excited about football and where we're at as a whole and um and i'll tell you what this will be a weekend that i think we all remember as like remember that one divisional weekend where shit was just fucking crazy the whole time yeah that's what this was so uh, i hope everybody enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed the pod we will be back on friday to preview the conference championship game cincinnati kansas city i think they're the first game maybe uh and then la and san francisco to tap off there on sunday night so for the boys scotty and Vito, i'm jeff have a wonderful week we'll talk to you guys on friday take it easy everybody